powered by Riverside. Welcome, everyone, to My Black Book Journal. It is a privilege to have you all with us again. Today, I have joining me as a guest, Sheila Wise-Rowe, who wrote the phenomenal book, Young, Gifted, and Black, A Journey of Lament and Celebration. Sheila, how are you doing today? I am well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. I thoroughly enjoy reading this book. Um, So I'm really excited to have our listeners have an opportunity to hear you talk about it. But as always, we like to get started on My Black Book Journal by having our guests just introduce themselves, share a little bit about their journey and what they're doing currently right now in life. So Sheila, if you share your journey with us, we'd be honored. Wow. So, um, yeah, many, many years (laughs) condensed into a short period. Um, So I uh, let's see, where do we start? I, I don't know if people are familiar with my other book, which is Healing Racial Trauma. And um, in that book, I really lay out a lot of my past history, having uh, been born in Boston, Massachusetts, and grown up uh, during the whole busing era in the 70s in Boston, just the impact that that had on, on me as a black girl. And, um, and out of that, um, my eventually becoming a therapist, um, working with diverse populations, and um, and one thing that kept coming up was around racism and racial trauma, um, and so that was the birthing of healing racial trauma that came out in 2020. And then one thing that I I saw um, in addition to having seen a lot of people dealing with racial trauma coming out of that whole number 45 period, <laughs> um, and that um, it really felt in some ways that there was a certain demographic that was not actually focused on. And, and, and so it, it almost felt like I was watching this, not only in the lives of my own children, but friends, their kids, millennials, Gen Zs, um, even older millennials who were really wondering like, where, where's my place? In, in a lot of these conversations, um, there's an emphasis, and there should be an emphasis on those who are really battling, who are struggling, absolutely. But it also felt like if if that wasn't necessarily your situation, like you weren't struggling academically, maybe you were in your career, and your career could be anything. It could be sport. It could be, a, you know, a plumber, um, uh, a writer, uh, and yet there was a way in which if you weren't like the squeaky wheel, you're going to get ignored. And there were ways in which there were messages around performance and having to uh, appear a certain way uh, to try to fit in. And, and also this of of living in this um, dual consciousness where it's like, how, how am I as a, as a black person, as a black male, female, like a, how do I navigate life um, as a black person who has some level of, of access, some level of experience, and yet how do I still stay grounded in my community? Um, and if I'm struggling, what do I do with that? And so during the last um, couple of years, what we saw were these really high-profile 
um, Black folk, many were millennials, who were either having mental health crises, were unfortunately, you know, the suicide rates were, were high. It was a very sad period. And it's still, there's still struggles around that. But it felt like nobody was telling that story. The assumption was that when you look at that kind of person, um, you look at a Simone Biles, um, you even look at a Naomi Osaka, and you think, they've got it all. And somehow, you know, we can buy into, even as Christians, this notion that somehow some people have arrived. And so they don't have any problems anymore. They don't have any struggles. It's all good. And when the reality is, it's it's not. And it really, and in many ways, those two women in particular, the fact that they stopped and they said, no, I've got to, I've got to deal with this. I've got to, to get counseling. I need to share my story. I need to be truthful about what I'm struggling with. I feel like they were really wonderful models for, okay, it's time to really look at some other things. And we saw some other folk. We saw people who wrote, like Lecrae wrote his book, and he was really open. There were others who were openly sharing, like, you know, the the tensions and struggles that they've had. And this book really is a reflection of that. Every chapter is focusing on an individual. Um, and, you know, a lot of them I know, some were new folk that I just met, um, but it touches on a lot of these themes that um, those who would be considered in the quote unquote gifted category or struggle with. Um, so I, I mean, I'm told you more about the book. <laughs> I have a master's in um, counseling. I also am a spiritual director and um, I just really, I'm committed to walking with people in terms of whether it's through writing um, or speaking. I do a lot of speaking engagements, but really helping believers particularly to really see that God is present, ever present with us in the midst of whatever it is that we're struggling with. And particularly for the ones who feel like they've got to perform and be on all the time. Wow. So I want to, I want to kind of dive into that and yeah. maybe ask some questions. So think of it. We're going to flow with the flow of the conversation, though. Yeah, that's you, great. You, you brought up Naomi Osaka. You yeah. brought up Lecrae. Um, you brought up Simone Biles, right? Very public figures who and and their, you know, for Lecrae, his his deconstructing of his faith and then his reconstruction of his faith is played on yeah. a, on a on a public level. Um, Simone Biles and 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 her mental health challenges, or even Naomi Osaka, mental health wrestling with people's expectations of them. Absolutely. And, Falling into that category myself of a young, gifted and black individual that is a middle aged millennial, mm. middle aged millennial as a I don't I don't know, 34 year old millennial. Um, <laughs> you, we, you Your book focuses on the individual. But how do you how, how should we be thinking as organization leaders, as institutions, as churches, as organizations about how to serve this demographic, because a lot of times they go forgotten and yes. we think about how do we meet the needs of maybe those who are, aren't as privileged in our society. So yes. do you also talk to organizations, institutions, churches, ministries about how to continue to promote that leadership and how to care for those people in their midst? Yeah, I mean, the, increasingly I have opportunities to do that. There's an interesting phenomenon that's happening, I think, that within our community and that 
we're kind of at this crossroad where we've had um, leadership that has been there for, for decades. And the, the, the piece about how do you pass the baton? So that means like you're really nurturing that, that generation that's coming behind you so that you're nurturing and preparing your, your replacement. And, and I think we're seeing a lot of things on the national stage. I'm saying this is someone who's 63, so I'm not throwing shade. <laughs> like, you know, some people like Biden, you're too old. I mean, the people who are too old, you know, and that's fine. Like rest, rest, resting is okay. Looking at the next generation is absolutely important. And we've got to figure out like, how do we, uh, encourage them um, because being in the pastorate, uh, the numbers of pastors who quit um, just even a few years out because they're, they're not prepared for what it is they're, they're going to have to experience, um, there's something wrong with how we're preparing them and that they're not ready for just the rigors of it. They're not ready emotionally. Um, they are not aware of what their um, weaknesses are. Uh, and, and so getting into a, a church and being a part of whether you're a member or whether you're someone who's being groomed for leadership, uh, one way or another, that group, we can just assume pastors are overwhelmed. You know, they're looking at con- their whole congregation, their people who are dealing with all sorts of struggles. And so it's easy to think, okay, that person has it together. And oftentimes that person, so we, I, you know, as organizations and pastors, we've got to be aware, like that person who's so bright and shiny, like check in with them. <laughs> yeah, check in because what you see may not be everything that is happening. Um, because a lot of times when, when something dramatic happens and the person, you know, they have to be committed or whatever, we're just kind of like, oh my gosh, we're shocked. We, you know, when in fact there were little signs along the way but there has to be an intentionality of really knowing who that person is. Is there accountability? Uh, does someone really know the, the, their inner life? Um, are, are they given safe enough space to be able to do that? Uh, whether or not, um, you know, the, the reality for them is that they're going to fear rejection. They're going to fear they may lose their job if they're on staff at an organization or a church. And so, are we creating these environments where if somebody is struggling in one way or another that we're giving them space to really work through um, their issues? With that in mind, it almost goes with an assumption. Like you said, I remember having a conversation with a pretty prominent pastor here, and he was sharing that he was ready to kind of groom somebody to, to take the reins, yeah. but he was looking around and saw that nobody was there. And mm-hmm. so it almost this assumption of, well, I've been nurturing, like, have I been nurturing up other leaders yeah. as I've been leading? And you, yes. you brought up, you brought up Biden, right? Like, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and I think the Democratic Party found themselves in a very interesting place yeah. post-Obama. Like, okay, who now will take the reins? Right. And we had, a, we had leadership for the party, but then who now leads? And it kind of falls back into that old leadership yep. because nobody was being nurtured and raised up. So. Yeah. Right. How 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 do those churches, those pastors, those leaders ensure that they're intentionally raising up? So when they're when they are tired, they don't feel like they have to run five or seven more years mm-hmm. in order to be able to find somebody now have to raise them up. Right. 
by. I don't, it's not too late. I think, you know, there, there really has to be, whether it's instituting some kind of a program within the organization or the church and saying, okay, these are the three people or whatever, or four people that we think, or maybe it's more than that, but that we think are uh, people who potentially are leaders and let's walk with them. Let's get to know them. Let's have a real sense of where they at spiritually, you know, so we're not blindsided later because they believe something totally whack, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> but um, it, and then as you talk about that five, seven year period, that's enough time to really walk with someone, test them out. I mean, if you think about Jesus and the disciples, you know, and him walking with them and, you know, they went out two by two, they went out, you know, it was a, it was a process of their learning as they went. Um, and then later the learning continued when Jesus, you know, rose and ascended. Um, but we've got to create these spaces for them so that they are actually seen and known. Um, and identified early. So I think just as is important, all my listeners to think about if you're a young leader, you're in your thirties, you're in your twenties, and you're, you're looking for leadership opportunity. Yeah. You may be wanting to push your church or your organization to like create more space, but we're going to we're going to transition a little bit and talk about how you prepare yourself for leadership and t- and emotional health, right? Cuz a lot of us are we've got an education, we we've been gifted, we've been told most of our lives that, you know, God has a plan for our lives, you know, and if you grew up in the charismatic church like me, you got a word at some point that God was going to send you to the nations, right? Yep. <laughs> but the emotional health yeah. um that that rootedness um is something that that Sheila talks a lot about and in your book, you spend time talking about not only the the joy of being young, gifted, and black, but you speak a lot about the pain and the need to go on the journey of lament. Can you share a little bit about a little bit about why that was so important to tie both of those things together, that celebration and the lament in our journey? Yeah, I, I mean, I feel too often we swing between these two poles. It's either that we're all celebrating, it's all celebration all the time. Um, or it is lament. And for many young, gifted, and black folk, it tends to be more on the celebration and that they're often celebrated um, and they're celebrating their victories. But at a certain point, that it can kind of get old if you're not dealing with the underlying pain, because that pain is present. It's not going away. And so it has to be attended to because, you know, unprocessed pain has a way of kind of bleeding into other things, relationships, your work, your ministry. And then at a certain point, you know, when you look at issues around people who've experienced early trauma, you know, that trauma, trauma is is held within the body. It's affecting us internally. And so you see things like not just mental health, but also physical ailments cropping up in that there's there there's consequences to holding on to that, um, and it's also one where you know as believers we're in we're called to be in community. We just are. It's called the body, um, and I think that that's a you know post COVID. There's there's a lot of like uh, reconstruction deconstruction of that whole thing, but the reality is that we all have a part to play, and we are we're interconnected. And so if we're not doing that, we're not, and we're isolating, um, we're continuing to perpetuate this kind of myth about who we are, that it's it's just not sustainable. It just, it ha- absolutely has a way of, of leaking out. 
And we've seen that. I've seen it certainly in leaders that I've encountered um, who haven't really dealt with their stuff. It's it, we see it, and there's an explosion, and we so we see things like we're shocked about certain prominent uh, pastors, apologetic, just you know we're we're shocked, yeah. um, and and that those are the really the poster children of when you don't deal with the pain. Hmm. It, it comes out in some other hidden way that it eventually gets exposed. You, you talked about community, and, and one thing that kept coming up for me as I was reading this book was that you're not alone, right? right. And mm-hmm. a lot of times when post-pandemic, but I think this was already kind of some cultural rumbling that was happening amongst this demographic before then, questioning the need of the church, questioning the methods yep. of the church, yep. you know, questioning the ministries and questioning organizations and institutions. Yeah. But before you know it, you can kind of look up and life is going on and you're alone. Yeah, And you you yeah. talk early on in your book about the rules for engagement, but then you say this, that this is our new rule for engagement. You say, our new rule of engagement is that Jesus always welcomes us. He alone heals the pain and meets the deepest needs of the ever brave, bright and shiny ones. And yeah. it really speaks yeah. to, yeah, we feel like we have courage and we want to take mountains, mm-hmm. but are we abiding and letting the Jesus that we talk about and want to do something for yeah. really work and heal us? Um is that what you're seeing when you work with millennials and Gen Zers that, that we need to be more intentional about the communities and be more intentional about abiding in Jesus than we may currently be doing? Yeah, you know what? I think it was a Barna or a few stu- recent study that looked at millennials across the board, so even across racial um, lenses. And so what they found was that those who were in that category of nons, meaning they don't attend church anymore or they don't like they, they were Christians and now they're saying what that they're not, or maybe they're questioning or they're agnostic that one of the major things that they said that they missed about church was community. And they said that the bottom line was that when it came down to like life's really traumatic, difficult events, um, or even good ones like the birth of a child or but or the death of someone or the someone is in the hospital or whatever like the way in which the church showed up the pastors the sisters the brothers in the church came and were consistent in terms of ministering to the person who was hurting to maybe the mother whose son who's up on charges you know and accompanying her to the like your friends who you drink with are, are not going to pitch up in that way. <laughs> they just aren't. Yeah. Friends in the club are not going to come that way. Maybe they might show up once or whatever, but they miss that, that level of consistency. And and so what they've seen is that that loneliness quotient is just off the charts with that demographic. They are, they feel absolutely lonely and they're, yes, they're on their social media all the time, but that is not real connection. Not in the way we're, we we were created, you know, by God to be in community, to talk to another human being, to touch, hug. <laughs> um, it's part of our DNA. When you you throughout your book, you weave in stories of those you've worked with or those you know, yeah. um, and how they've experienced some some pain. Yeah. Um, but then you 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 
you in, you even have them in their own words share their journeys with us. Why did you think it was so important for your work and also for other young gifted and black people to to hear and see other people's stories and hear their words about their healing journeys? Yeah, I th- I think because it, it comes down to this whole issue with the, the demographic and the ability to really share their story, to share, to be authentic, and that and and it was places where people could then identify and see a mirror of themselves and to say, wow, I, I can relate to that. That reminds me of me. This is, a, you know, this is something that was similar to how I grew up, or this is similar to what I'm experiencing now. And so those stories uh, are absolutely, I, I think, essential in terms of that whole notion of not feeling so alone. That's a, this is another extension of that, is that on that page, there's a sense of uh, I'm not the only person, uh, because that's also the tape that can play in um, in their heads that, you know, they're the only ones experiencing this. Look at these other people. They're so high profile. They're doing so well because everybody's putting on a, you know, a front <laughs> on social media and everything looks great and wonderful. And so people are comparing their lives um, based on that and thinking, well, they seem to be mentally sharp and, you know, they're emotionally stable and, um, but maybe, maybe not. So Pete Scazzaro, um talks a lot about how our souls grow larger through suffering, mm. right? And he, he talks about the need to actually deal with and focus on grief and loss. <clears throat> and you hit on that as well talking about dealing with our grief and dealing with our loss. Um, in a chapter, I think it was Things Lost and Found, or, or Between the Lines, Things Lost and Found. Um, and you, you speak about Chadwick Bozeman and yeah. and that, like his own process and maybe lack of acknowledgement and grieving. Mm-hmm. And then, but how that is almost like a a, a mirror into how so many of us don't go on that journey. Can you you talk a little bit about that grief and loss and the need, some of the, some of the challenges we have as a generation with that, but the need to go on that journey for ourselves and our families. The, the issue with grief is that, you know, when we talked about the body and we're holding things in, including loss and not really recognizing you know, the grief, grief is a, a journey. It's one that comes in waves. There are ways in which you may think, okay, I'm done with it, but you ha- there has to be an openness to ride that wave whenever it comes up. But the first step is really acknowledging that it's there. And the grief can be uh, around a number of things. It could be around the, the literal loss of a person, but it can, could be around loss of um, a job. It could be, I mean, we certainly saw a lot of that uh, with the pandemic, um, it also comes. You know, when I think about like even with racism and racial trauma, like there's a there's a level of grief there in terms of the things that people have experienced, and you know, processing it through the lens of just like anger doesn't deal with the grief part. You know, because we can easily go to anger really quickly. Right. Uh, it's a lot. It, it feels like oh, I'm doing something and I'm all that. Grief is hard. Because it, it's a place of vulnerability, it's a place of weakness, and most people don't want to go there. Um, and yet, when I think about like the Psalms, and I think of you know in the Book of Lamentations, it's just this whole notion of that we 
you know, King David models this. We can literally go to the Lord exactly where we're at and to be real and vulnerable and not just angry, but greet, you know, just to mourn. And that is so essential because, you know, just as with anger and other kinds of emotions, if we're not dealing with it again, it's going to come out in one way or another. And so uh, we have to really have spaces where we're encouraging people to lament and churches can be a part of that. And whether it's a lament service or whether there's just opportunities for even just one-on-one in uh, pastoral counseling and settings of just encouraging people to really look at the places where there has been loss and there has been pain. And in that moment of really encountering the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, the Lord present in that, um, I, it was interesting you said your background in terms of um, just the charismatic kind of a space. And that's that was that was mine uh, as well. Um, mother, My mother was Pentecostal. Just in terms of the whole Pentecostal piece and just this sense of I, part of my story was like, how do, how do in my writings really encapsulate what I have seen to be true and not package it in a way that um, maybe it's more palatable to certain demographics or whatever, but one of what I have seen in terms of Holy Spirit in the context of counseling, really the, being the comforter. <laughs> literally the comforter, like meeting someone right in the middle of their being truthful about their pain and their struggle. And in that moment of prayer, the Holy Spirit really ministering comfort and, and peace to them as they bring that out into the light. And, and knowing that they don't have to hold on to that by themselves that the Lord is with them, there, there's someone else as well, whether it's a pastoral counselor or a therapist or even a friend. Um, but the, the whole grieving process is in stages. And, you know, we start with denial, like, oh, it's fine, whatever. And then you, you can cycle through all sorts of things. They're not linear, but there's anger, there's bargaining, like, oh, God, change this, make it not be so. Um, there's grieving. We get to the place eventually where there's a level of acceptance of it, of like, this happened. It, it did happen. Um, it doesn't, it's not a value that like, well, that's, that's, you know, it's horrible, bad. Yeah. Sometimes we have to be aware of that, but just the reality that this happened to me at this point in time, and this is where I'm at right now. And Lord, what is it that you want to say to me about what happened, you know, as a child or what happened last week? Um, You're always with me. And so what is it that you're saying about this? I have my own human, you know, interpretation of what is happening, which may be correct or not. Um, and so I really you know, say to people, you know what, it's it's taking every single thought captive and making it subject to Christ and, and saying, Lord, you know, it's more of a charismatic leaning. Well, what do you say about this? What Rather than what do I say about it? Like I, you know, what I say about it is true to say it, but Lord, is this real? Is it true? Um so grieving is is absolutely essential part of life. And I think th- this is the whole piece about the book too. It's like the bottom line is life is both. <laughs> it's lament and celebration. That's life. That's real. And I think that for millennials, Gen Zs, it's like, l- let's get real. I think it was M. Scott Peck's book where he said his first line was life is difficult. 
period. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, that's really true. And the Bible says that, you know, it's, yeah, it's the sparks fly upward. Like, me, like we're going to deal with that. But as believers, we have the Lord who's present with us. Um, and we have others that we can bring alongside to walk with us in the midst of our pain. I remember um, just reading your book. A couple other things kind of kept coming up. And you talk about a journey. And I think this is important for um, for us as millennials, for us as Gen Zers to hear this this concept of of waiting and walking, right? And and you you you're like, yes. Yeah, can you just speak on that, right? Like, because you you just hit on it, like just being present with the Lord, waiting on the Lord, submitting our experiences to the Lord, actually dealing with what we're feeling, experiencing in community. But can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. You know what? I think that one of the struggles around waiting, um, you know, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. whatever. I can look at you know, where I'm at now and I can look at where I was when I was 20 and they're light years ahead. And so I often use that, the analogy of stories that, you know, if our life is a, is a book and there are many, many chapters at a certain point, you can be at chapter eight. And if chapter eight is not a good chapter, you can assume that, that that's the whole story. But that's not the whole story. That is not the whole story. Part of that whole waiting process is that you, because God is, is involved in your life, there is more to the story. And so part of waiting is, is really asking the Lord for the ability to be present and to be patient and to allow him to work out whatever it is that he's working out in the midst of that. You know, the scripture that says that he causes all things to work together for good to those who love him. And, and, you know, people quote that or whatever and think, yeah, whatever. But, you know, I've had really difficult, sometimes even some of it was really horrific things that have happened. And I can honestly say there were ways in which the Lord worked things. Was it good? No. <laughs> those things were not good. But out of that came the fruit of maturity, you know, the, the fruit of healing, of going on a journey of, of healing. And, and so waiting, like people are waiting for lots of things. And they think, you know, is God ever going to show up? And it's more about being present where you're at in the midst of the waiting, not waiting with this kind of like forward looking perspective where you're, oh, the day when I will be married and have kids and, you know, or the day when I will have this and that job. Like we do need to have some sense of vision, but we can't be totally looking at that because what's happening right now is really, it's, it's, it's important. And we need to invite the Lord in the places right now where we're feeling like this is taking too long. We're feeling frustrated. Um, we're feeling like nothing's ever going to change um, because the Lord really needs to inform that place where, you know, if our hope is is starting to fade, um, we need the, we need a fresh word from from Him. We need the support of other people who can give us a word of of encouragement and are, are listening alongside us. Um, and so, 
Weeding is something that is just generally hard for everybody. It really is. But, um, you know, the whole, the scripture about they, they wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Sometimes it feels like, no, that's not happening, actually. <laughs> My strength is not renewed. <laughs> I'm just waiting. Um, <laughs> and yet, the thing is that when you're on the other side of it, you realize like, wow, like, you know what? I am, you know, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit stronger than I was. And I thought I couldn't endure that, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm, I'm on that journey. You know, um, growing up, I remember riding in the car with my dad and he would play a song by Juanita Bynum. Uh, I don't mind waiting. Um, and I didn't understand. I liked, I liked the song. I didn't really understand it. Um, but but Maverick City came out with the song Wait on the Lord right? yeah. a couple yeah. of years ago. And at this stage in my life, I've listened to that song in moments on repeat yeah. because I better understand what it means to walk with the Lord yeah. and to trust him in that in that space in between. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so so really quickly, I want to say this to our listeners. I first encountered um, Sheila Wise's Road book when I was at the Christian Community Development Association conference this past year in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it was all about, as you said, waiting. It was about well-being, mm-hmm. right? How can we rest and do this work that we're called to do better when so many of us aren't well and our culture isn't well. And I was at a point in my life where I needed that communal encouragement mm-hmm. to be around brothers and sisters who understood. And I was introduced to this book that really encouraged my soul. So I want to encourage you all to, one, get in community. Yeah. Two, pick up a book like this, read it quickly, and then go back and read it slowly. Yeah. Right? I know we're tempted. We want to fly through it and say I finished it. Go back. That's what we do here on My Black Book Journal. We journal through our books. Mm-hmm. So we write about it. We think about it. We, we're we talking to others about what we're learning, and we do something with it. And she has some great prompts at the end of every chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, one last question or a question before we kind of wrap up. What are what are your hopes for, mm-hmm. for millennial and Gen Z leaders that you're writing to? And just honestly, what are some of your concerns, fears that – if we if we if we we wrestle with this and we wrestle with the Lord and we wait and we learn to to go on this journey, but if we kind of refuse and we go the way of only deconstructing, um, what are some of your hopes and fears for us? Yeah, I think you know the whole issue around um, deconstruction. I feel like. What what is happening is that there's also so much of what people are ingesting in social media is really kind of stoking that um, when, in fact, and in some cases, there has been spiritual abuse. And so I don't want to minimize that. Um, and that absolutely needs to be called out. It needs to be addressed and, and healing, a healing journey needs to happen with that. But I, I think one thing is that there's been, and in some ways, uh, folk are re-examining things that they had, experiences that they had, in a through a lens that may or may not be totally accurate. So I would really caution people to really think through 
you know, if they've had experiences where they've seen the Lord, like in, wow, whether it was a mission strip or whether it was just personally, like they had like this profound encounter with the Lord and then they go, oh, you know, I'm deconstructing now. And so that wasn't real. I made it up. Um, and, and I'm actually hearing a bunch of that. And, and I just think, you know what, that's when the whole thing about community is important because then it's like, you know what, there are people who actually walked with you during that period. And there are ways in which, I don't know, I'm not going to say absolutely that that's not true, but what was presented at that time, how you encountered God, how you experienced him was very, very different. And the way in which um, church hurt or even not being in, in church on a Sunday during the pandemic, whether that gave pause for people to really begin to reevaluate things. Um, the reevaluation is not a problem. That's not the problem. The problem is when that kind of deconstruction happens in isolation hmm. and that where your only input is really from the screen. It's from who these talking heads who are just talking smack. They really, in many cases, they are, they're just, you know, they're talking out of their own experience. I get that, but you know, being in an authentic community with others is so, it's so important to really grapple with, well, what does my faith look like going forward? What is it? You know, it doesn't mean going back to a church building. doesn't mean, you know, being a part of like a connect group or something or, um, or having a prayer circle at my job or what does that look like? Um, you know, the, in this day and age, given where we're at, um, rather than throwing everything out, it's like where's the place of authentic faith and found, like trying to recapture that and then build upon that um, rather than let me just throw the whole thing out. Um, because, you know, <laughs> the reality is that in, in many cases, not many, I, I frankly believe everybody has this whatever you want to call it, God-shaped hole. There's a, there's a ache. There's a, a sense of there has to be something bigger than me, <laughs> something bigger than what I see around me. Um, and, and that is that, that being God unconditionally loves me. Like I don't have to perform. And I think particularly for young gifted and black, like he is not saying you, you need to perform. And that is something that, you know, God, certainly in my life, God has repeatedly had to say to me, you know what, Sheila, I'm not asking you to build bricks with no straw. Because mm. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, and, and it sneaks in. And I think, oh, I'm, I've done, I've dealt with that. That's fine. And then I hear it again. It's like, I am not asking you. <laughs> like my relationship with you is one that's based on, it's a, it's a love relationship. And it's not about your works. I want to be with you. It's not about, yeah, you'll do some stuff because I'll, you know, we'll together, we'll do some stuff. But you know what? I'm not like, you need to, shh, shh, I'm Pharaoh. Nah, that's not me. Hmm. That's, um, that's really important. Jesus says that one's life doesn't just consist of what you have. And I think sometimes as a young, gifted and black person, a lot of times in order to survive to get ahead, we learn performance, right? We oh, yeah. learn, and 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 you hit on that in, in your book. And so being reminded 
that God isn't a taskmaster, that he's not, he's not like Pharaoh. Um, yeah. he's, a, he's a loving father yeah. who cares for his children. I mean, yeah. Being reminded if he cares for the, the sparrows and the lilies of the field, how much more will he care for, care for us? And so thank one you for quick, that reminder. One quick thing, though, about the father thing is that, you know, unfortunately for many, the father thing is a huge issue. You know, because we, you know, whether we came from families where our fathers were absent, not present at all, or worked so much they weren't even ever there, um, that we easily transfer that on to God. And we think God, in some ways, is similar to our father. So if, you know, if our father was abusive, then God is that. If God, if um, our father was like Pharaoh, <laughs> you know, you need to do, do, do for him, then we think God is that. Um and so I think there's just that piece also needs to be looked at. Like what are, how are, even in terms of deconstructing, like how have we twisted things in a, a bit where we've connected um, God or, or our faith to the dysfunctional things that we've experienced? Um, and like they're, they're one and the same when, when in fact they're not. Can you speak just really quickly to the need for leaders, right? So that maybe maybe fall in this demographic, but but maybe um, a little younger Gen Xers, the need for them to go on this journey of healing so that they can lead others. Can you speak really quickly to that as well? Yeah. Um, the reality is, and you know, I, I talked about the major like media blowups where we've seen people crumble, but. The reality is if you're if you're not taking this space to actually get into therapy, get into a support group, um, work through your stuff, it's going to affect how you lead others. And your places of vulnerability are going to be open doors, open windows, a cracked window or something. But if you're going to be in any prominent position, uh, whatever that might be, you know, whether it's in music, whether it's, you know, you're a physician or you're, you know, in corporate. If that, those cracked open doors where you are cracked windows, um, where you've not dealt with your stuff, it will affect one, how you lead, your mm -hmm. longevity in leading. There'll be a tendency to take out that, whatever that is, abuse on the people around you uh, in your workplace. Um, and it also, it, it will affect how you, um, feel that you, your performance is like, are you able to hold like when someone is giving you accolades or does it just kind of leak out? And, uh, you know, so, and a lot of that is, is when you're not dealing with the pain, you know, you see people who are constantly scroll. They're looking to see, well, how are my numbers on Instagram or TikTok or what? Like, there's an obsession around that. Like, it's just never enough. It's going to be more and more and more. And that's because if there that hole is not being filled, that that place of healing hasn't occurred, you're going to want to get this external validation, um, and you keep looking for it, and you keep upping it and upping it, and it's never going to be enough. And so my encouragement really is this one recognizes the journey. It's going to take time, uh, but you can be intentional about reaching out and getting support. And whether it's an in-person therapist or an online therapist, 
lots of support groups that are out there and just communities. I think, you know, if, if there are people who, I know people in certain industries have decided, well, we're going to have groups, believers, actors who are on Broadway, or there's um, musicians or people who are in certain corporate environments that they've decided, you know what, we have a shared experience and we, we know what life is like here. And we also know what our, our weaknesses and struggles are. And so we want to support one another in that. So it's the whole range. It's not just, oh, just go to therapy. That that would be great if you can do that. But there's a whole nother sequence. Um, hopefully there's support within your church. And your church has space uh, for you to be real and to feel like you're met and you're cared for. So, yeah, I think that would be. So, y'all, Paul says that you have many teachers but few fathers. Mm-hmm. Sheila Wise Rowe is a true mother in the faith. Um, I can feel it, experience it, just even talking to her, but even reading her work, she has the heart of a mother, someone that'll give you the truth, come up and comfort you, but also a walk with you. And so thank you so much for this work. Thank you so much for your writing. It is truly a gift to our generation. Thank you. Thank you. That's lovely. It's lovely. <laughs> thank you. I'm really encouraged by your words. Yeah. Awesome. So where can, where can people follow your work and learn more about what you, some new upcoming projects or maybe even engage some of your, your, um, your blogs or whatever else you're working on. So my website site is uh, Sheila And so on that, you I've posted um, links. I do a lot of podcasts and um, I guess uh, write for blogs. I've also um, been included in several anthologies as well. Um, so that's one. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I barely am on Twitter. I'm not really, or whatever it's called, X. Um, and, but it's all my name. So it's at Sheila Weisrow on all of those. Um, and Facebook, it's my personal, I'm using my personal page versus the author page as a main mode of, um, of communication for that. Um, and one other thing, my, my husband and I, he's, um, he works at Gordon Conwell Seminary and he's um, a, a chair for leadership there. And so he and I are working on a book about um, leadership specifically. I cannot wait to read that. Yeah. Um, so once that's published, I'm going to have to read that and have both of you all on the show. I'd love yeah, to. Yeah, that would be great. That would be great. All right. Before we get you out of here real quick. We have something on my Black Book Journal called Reading Brings Me Joy. Can you share something that you've read recently that has brought you joy? Wow. Hmm. Hmm. You know what? I'm so knee deep in writing. Our deadline is October 1st. I'm like, oh, gosh. Joy? Hmm. I've been doing a lot of research. A lot of, yeah. Um, The Bible. That sounds really trite. No, that's great. But it's not. Um, I, I'm serious. I've been, I've been reading so much. It's just kind of crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, boy, joy. That's really, I'm like, why is this so difficult? Hmm. Um, you know what? Voices of Lament, which mm. is not, um, you know, Natasha Sistrong Robinson, she um, wrote that. And so I, I actually have a essay in there as well. Uh, it's a hard, it's hard. It's a hard book, but I think it brings me joy because I feel like, you know, she's had this unique 
thing where she brought together such diverse uh, number of women of color and ranging from uh, biopoc women. And it's just, it's wonderful to hear the stories and the perspectives, um, you know, and then with, with the, the end goal of just where is the Lord in the midst of all of that. And, and so in that way, I feel like it's, it's hopeful and those voices need to be heard. So that Mm -hmm. does bring that book. That brings me joy. Great book. You all should read it as read them at the same time. My black, Mm -hmm. uh, young gifted and black and voices of the mint as you're on this journey to really healing and just being more honest with ourselves and those mm-hmm. around us. Yeah. Uh, Sheila Wasro, thank you so much for joining us on My Black Book Journal. I have really appreciate, appreciated you being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Till next time, y'all. <laughs>